We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. KC Laboratory. Sponsored by Emprise Bank. It's another live edition of the KC Laboratory presented by Emprise Bank. You deserve a checking account that always goes for two. As in 2% cash back. Earn more on everyday purchases with a cash back checking account at Emprise Bank. Visit EmpriseBank.com. Member FDIC. So appreciative of them. Uh, wish we were talking on a more upbeat level. After, you know, as as much as as, as Emprise has done, they deserve they deserve twenty straight wins from the Kansas City Chiefs, I think. But here to help me talk about the first loss of this season for your Kansas City Chiefs is my dear pals. First, find him on Twitter on at Chief in Carolina, Maddie Lane. What's good, Kent? I'm gonna be very upbeat, but I think we have we have to deal with the elephant in the room. You specifically chose a close game to not jinx the Chiefs when we did game predictions. This is your fault. Had you just picked a blowout, this game would have ended as a two-score win for the Chiefs. And really, I think Chiefs division should be about Kent cowarding out of his game prediction because you guys try to make him feel guilty when we all pick blowouts. Craig, what say you? I totally agree. It's a new season. There was nothing to prove that there was going to be a weird game by the Chiefs doing this. So what Kent went and ruined it. I see how it is. My goodness. I I am going to take you to task. We're going to wrestle. It's going to be great. This is we are full on into Chiefs to this. Yeah, it's Chiefs to this time, which means I think I don't I'm wearing a white t-shirt right now. I think I need to change the attire up a little bit. Please hold just a second. Oh, we no. need to we need oh. to get the sweater out, I think. Uh, for some Chiefs to this. So let me go ahead. No, you do that. Put you do this you. bad boy on that's, because, that's uh, yeah, it's time. We got We have a lot to talk about. We got a lot of gr- uh, grievances to air. I put out a tweet on Twitter just to a safe space for everybody. 322 of you jumped into my mentions to complain about the Kansas City Chiefs. The last place Kansas City Chiefs. Last place Kansas City Chiefs, huh? Oh, it does. It just doesn't feel good. Like none of this feels good. Uh, First time since Mahomes has been the quarterback. Yikes. I mean, it, I just, I'm not the things I'm not used to. I'm not used to, I'm not used to this team losing in September. I'm not used to, to Patrick Mahomes throwing interceptions in September. I'm not used to Clyde Edwards, Alaire fumbling the football. And yet all three of those things happened last night. I really don't know where to start with this. I think we need to start with the defense. Does that seem about right? Because I know all of our conversations this entire day in the DMs has been largely about the defense. We've barely talked about Clyde, but we've talked a lot about this defense, Craig. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I suppose we can start with the defense. I'd like the defense to start. hey <laughs> No, uh, this defense uh, is frankly getting pushed around way too much for the investment that they have in the front seven when you've got a bunch of guys that are bigger guys that are supposed to play the run well on the defensive line and you put up put out there a bunch of linebackers that are bigger guys and supposed to stop the run well hey you should stop the run well and they give up some things in coverage and in the pass rush by having these types of guys i don't disagree with it in theory but you have to execute 
So if you're going to invest all this time and effort into developing these bigger guys, these run stuffers in your front seven so that you can get to those third downs and be able to use the blitzes that we know Spagnolo has, you should have those guys stuff the run. And they can't, they can't right now. It's awful how bad they are, especially on first down. You guys, they're giving up almost eight yards of play on first down. That's that's silly. You can't get into a blitz strategy. You can't get into a pass rush strategy if you are constantly in first down because you're constantly giving up first downs. And that starts and ends with that terrible run defense. I don't even know how we go about bringing up the Chiefs run defense to Chiefs to this. Like, I don't even know where you start with this. <laughs> it's, because yeah, it's, it's all bad. Yeah. It's a failure on every level. I'm not, and I'm not just sticking into players. Like, I think, I don't know what's going on defensively this year. Craig's focused a little bit more on the defensive side of the ball, you know, through the first watch of this game and the Cleveland Browns game that I have. But are they doing something different? Because Anthony Hitchens looks like he's playing slow again to me. He looks yeah. like he's back to his first year in Steve Spagnuolo's defense. Even when I watch a quick replay, just everything he's processing is slow. It's like he's thinking about first what he has to do and then trying to react to what the offense has to do. And that's what he wasn't doing that last year. When we said he started to play better last year, it's because he seemed to understand his job and then could just react to you know the offense and what they were doing. But now you have Anthony Hitchens doing that. But not only him, you have everybody doing that. And then you have Chris Jones, and you know he's still the best player on this defense. He is not reacting to anything. He's just kind of there when he's playing. Like if it's not third and long, Chris Jones is just kind of standing there, not doing a whole lot. You then have outside linebackers coming in and almost running into him, trying to fill the same gap that he's just kind of blandly standing in, not really doing anything. You have these deep safeties either are over-pursuing their angles when they're coming from deep. They're not coming down and running the alley at all. Nobody can really get off of a block. Like the Chiefs' only good run defense plays in this game seem to be when the Ravens – People, please don't take this as Frank Clark was great because he also played poor, but there was a couple plays where they tried to read him and he made a good play on it or Nick Bolton on a run blitz off the edge. Those are the only two times they played the run well. Anytime it was stacking up, you know, the blockers and trying to make a play, pursuing someone to the sideline, nothing, nada. This defense top down looks awful. Yeah. I mean, and it, it shouldn't look awful because there's a lot of investments on this defense. I mean, I think I saw a lot. Something. I think I saw someone that said they're the second most expensive defense in the National Football League this year. I mean, so someone Chiefs, make a play. Somebody in that right. front seven make one play. They they've they've invested way too many assets. Our guy BK Sports Talk Brandon Kylie. The Chiefs are spending twenty five percent of their twenty twenty one cap on the defensive line. It's the highest percentage in the league, and only five other teams are over eighteen percent. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The Chiefs have two top 100 picks on their defensive line right now on rookie contracts. They have two second round picks at linebacker on this roster. Oh, and by the way, Anthony Hitchens is the fifth most expensive linebacker in the National Football League this year. His cap hit is fifth. This is a group with a lot of assets devoted to him. A lot, and it's old, it's young. Nobody is doing their job, and it's infuriating. <laughs> it's so frustrating to see that from a Steve Spagnolo defense. I don't understand what's happened here. Where's the leadership? I don't get it, Craig. I don't either, because it's a polar opposite of what we saw in the preseason. And I know that preseason is very vanilla. And the Chiefs went up against arguably the two best rushing offenses in the NFL. So if you want to take any silver lining, know that it's probably not going to be as painful as this going forward. But that being said, they didn't win. Like they didn't show signs of hope, signs of taking steps, signs of making progress. And it's getting to the point where Spagnuolo is run blitzing regularly. He's just got guys attacking specific gaps and having them fail fast because that's better than standing flat-footed at the second level and just getting completely washed away. Chris Jones, tough assignment here. Don't get me wrong. Going up against a pistol read option offense, especially one as good as Greg Roman's, is tough. But my goodness, like the, the way that they had him attacking the play was more like how they have Frank Clark, a guy who's played defensive end his entire career, attacking the play. Have Chris, 
attack the dive with a scrape exchange over the over the top who cares if it's predictable at least you're going to have something you're going to have consistency you're going to be able to try and set an edge over there a little bit better than the chiefs did it's certainly better than what they were trotting out there but unfortunately it just didn't matter after they escaped that front seven because then on the back end nobody can make a tackle dan Sorensen has missed nine tackles in two weeks and i it baffles me why he's continuing to get run the major knock on juan thornhill is that he struggles with consistency and that he struggles in the run game well guess what guys Dan Sorensen's also struggling with consistency and in the run game, but at least Juan's got a little athleticism, ball skills, and can maybe cover a guy a little bit. So it just, some of the decision-making is baffling, and you're seeing it crop up now two weeks in a row against good football teams and good offenses that are making this defense just, frankly, look like Swiss cheese. I think the hard part with Juan Thornhill, and I agree, like at this point in time, if Dan Sorensen's not going to get his tackling back under control, which I mean, historically, he's been a fine tackler to safety. He's actually really good. This is Craig and I've talked about it. We like Dan Sorensen playing as a deep safety because he's good at following his role deep, and then he's good at coming downhill and run support. Juan Thornhill, that's where he kind of struggles the most, is that downhill and run support. So for this game, like we just see it, Juan Thornhill only played 11 snaps. I get it from a game script perspective why you would not have him out there a ton on this game. I get even a little bit why you would see Rashad Fenton play over Mike Hughes a lot of nickel because he's a little bit better of a tackler. He's under he's been in the system while he knows how to play that brand of football against this team. I get the game script. I can tell you this by mid-second quarter, it was pretty clear that whatever you were doing wasn't working. Like just start flooding <laughs> in some more talented guys. Let's just get the ta- the younger talent on the field. Dan Sorensen isn't making or breaking this team going to the Super Bowl this year or ever. Like he's a good player to have. He helped them win a Super Bowl, but he's not getting them to another Super Bowl ever. That's just not the kind of player he's going to be. You know who could be? Juan Thornhill. He does he doesn't look like he's trending in the right direction since his rookie year. You know there's been some ups and downs with injuries, confidence, but he still could help you get there this year, next year. Like he could be a building block. Let's see him play over Dan Sorensen. I didn't want to go back to one quick thing though with just the Ravens rushing attack. I agree with Craig. They made it really hard on the Chiefs. They threw a lot of different runs at the Chiefs. They, I mean, through the first half, I think I counted seven different types of runs. By the end of the mm-hmm. game, we were up into the double digits. They threw a lot of stuff. You know what they found out? The Chiefs had no idea at all how to fit the read bash option with the lineman pulling to the backside. Every single play was the backside defensive end was squeezing down. Linebacker would come in on essentially a scrape exchange, but you know what that linebacker did every single time? Filled the same gap as the defensive end. Whether he crashed, whether he went wide, they hit the same. The Ravens added an extra gap routinely, and the Chiefs put two players in the gap every time. A lot of wrong shouldering the pulling blocker, a lot of defensive ends out of position. It was just the Ravens made it hard. The Chiefs adapted absolutely none to it throughout the entire game. Before we jump off of this, run defense real quick. Just numbers on the season. Run success. The Chiefs' highest run success defender is Frank Clark, is Derek Nottie, and then after that, nobody else has higher than a 33% run success rate. That means two-thirds of the time, the offense is getting ahead of the sticks with everybody else. And the linebackers are worse. So it's it's real bad. It's real consistently bad. So uh, something that really desperately has to change there. I mean, yeah. And it, I mean, the, the thing is, like, the Ravens found some success in the air, too. Like, <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of guys open. Lamar missed some plays. But they had a lot. They had some explosive pass plays, too. Like, there was coverage bust. Like, we can just go there, too. Mm-hmm. I guess this, this might be Chiefs if it's just about the defense. Probably should just be about the defense. Probably no, no, no. I got some. No, I got some offense stuff say, to unload off my chest. Stuff. You can chill out right now. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I would rather just pretend that it's just all the defense's fault. But of course you would. I know, right? Uh, but like, okay, the back into the back into the defense, like communication issues. You know, something. I mean, Tyron Matthew raising his hand in, in confusion. That doesn't happen very often. This team. This team had their issues. In coverage as well, some big explosive plays to render. The linebacking core has no ability to cover, and the 
I'll, I'm sorry. I know the, Nick Bolton was a big conversation yesterday. I'm not going to try to rehash that too much. You guys can go ahead and rehash it if you want. I'm just going <laughs> to say the Ravens actively targeted him. They actively targeted. We really didn't talk about this much yesterday. They actively targeted him in two, two big plays. It was second and 15. They went after Nick Bolton. They threw in Nick Bolton's zone back-to-back plays for an easy first down. There's some big coverage issues, not just with Nick Bolton, but with everybody. But this this is the frustration I have with the roster, some of the roster composition is this team, okay, cool. You're going to invest in your front seven, and your front seven's kind of built to stop the run. You got thumpers. You got you got Nick Bolton, a thumper, who's really not a coverage player. He didn't look like a coverage player coming out. Not a good athlete. Him and Clyde Edwards Lair. Not good athletes. Very average NFL athletic profiles that went very early for this football team. The, 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 the backs, the, 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 the second level that defense cannot cover. They have not been able to cover in the Steve Spagnuolo era. But if they can't do the, they can't defend the run either, that's problematic for this team. Like, what, what are we doing here? They've invested too much for this, for, this, for this front seven to be as bad as it has been and for the second level that defense to be as bad as it has been in coverage. And you got Willie Gay coming. Like, there's That's at least good. some athleticism that you can add to the second level. So it's not all doom and gloom there, but he's not going to just eradicate every single issue that this team has. He's just not. It, by the way, speaking of Nick Bolton in coverage, he's been targeted the second most of any Chiefs defender through two weeks behind wow. Charvarius Ward, which you would expect Charvarius Ward to see a lot of targets. He's a cornerback. He's matching up against number one options often. He's not a very Nick good cornerback. I'm sorry. Well, he he, no, no, no. Really quick. I, this, this is cheese to this. This is time to get this out, Craig. I'm sorry. But, really quick. Can I just get like, shoot, can I get like 10 seconds? Go for it. Go for it. Charvarius Ward has not been good for three years. He's not been good. And people have been banking and hanging on the three games he showed promise as an undrafted free agent his, his rookie year. That's three all I'm games. going to say. It's, I mean, that's it. If you, you know, that's it. He's not been good for three seasons. Please continue. Anyway, Bolton, second most on the team in targets, a 12.5% coverage success rate. 12.5%. I talked about how two thirds, like that's bad when your offense is converting two thirds, when you are being targeted and you are giving up that much yardage at that clip. In scenarios where you need to play better, I think we all remember him being, you know, at the sticks late, you know, oh. in a drive and not being able to trigger downhill, close the space and try and bring the ball carrier down short of the sticks. It just it's it's a struggle. It's like like Kent said, like I said, to start the top of this show, if you are going to have run stopping linebackers, it has to be good against the run because you are going to get beat up in coverage. And this is now going to be year three of Steve Spagnolo and these linebackers in coverage that are struggling. And you can't keep trotting that out. Offenses will pick on them as we are seeing here. It's not Nick Bolton's fault that he's being picked on here. He is being put in this scenario. So I, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked there. Coverage is just, Oof. Oof. It, it, it's been bad. I, like Craig said, there's a low success rate. It, according to Pro Football Focus, he's been targeted seven times in the year, giving up seven catches, averaging over 10 yards per reception against them. There's a lot of yak coming on these receptions too. He's not getting guys down as soon as they catch it. Like, I get it. He hasn't been missing tackles for the Chiefs. I get that when he gets his hands he on hasn't. guys, he brings them down. Mm -hmm. He's just mm -hmm. getting his hands on them down the field or after they catch the ball. That's kind of a problem. Now, the good news is, He's going to be taken out of this role when Willie Gay comes back, yeah. presumably. This is not going to be his role to keep forever. He's being asked to play a role he probably shouldn't be. I then wonder, I know everybody hates him. I just wonder, are we sure Ben Neiman's worse? Like, are we sure Ben Neiman's worse in coverage than Nick Bolton? Ben Neiman, 16% coverage success rate. <laughs> Improvement. Listen, I, I'm not saying Ben Neiman changes anything drastically. It's just, you know, and I would I can't speak out of both sides of my mouth. If you're gonna, if I'm gonna say play Juan Thornhill over Sorensen, I really don't care if you play Bolton over Ben Neiman. I just think the coverage from the linebackers is really Anthony Hitchens is getting the most difficult coverage assignments that this team is putting on linebackers. This is a guy they 
go out of their way to make sure isn't on the field when they think the offense is going to pass. Yeah. He's currently getting the most difficult coverage assignments. He hasn't been terrible. Hasn't been good. Hasn't been terrible. So, you know, it, it's not a good look right now. And like Craig's saying, this defense is built to stop the run. The personnel is built to stop the run, and they're not doing it. This defense is built to get teams in second and long, third and long. Let Steve Spagnuolo get out the kitchen sink, throw it onto the field, bring 13 guys, even though 11 are on the field, like eight other guys are going to run off the sideline in coverage. That's what they're made to do. You can't do that if it's third and two every single play, and the quarterback can just run right up the middle for eight yards every single time. This defense, like everybody's mad at Steve Spagnuolo, and I get it. Part of the issue is the personnel. Part of the issue is first mm-hmm. and second down defense. But you got to look at the players as well. Some of these players aren't doing their jobs. They're not letting Steve Spagnuolo get to the point that he wants to get to. Where he excels is in those passing situations. Yeah. We just aren't getting there. Now, the Chiefs aren't getting there. Yeah, Steve Spagnuolo always says, you earn the right to rush the passer. Uh I in that that they just they're not they're not earning that opportunity and I mean the run fits have been horrendous. One thing I keep thinking about and I we looked at it with the roster construction. Chris Lamons got a big holding special teams penalty by the way uh, this week. We look at the roster construction of this football team. We look at the playing time decisions and this is a I think maybe to a fault. There is there's a strong desire. It feels like to not hold on and give a young players opportunities. It feels like there is a desire for can you know they D- daniel Sorensen's a known commodity he's more known than juan thornhill even though this is the third year that juan thornhill has been here you know there feels like there's a little bit ben neiman getting opportunities i feel like you know the this coaching staff loves to hold on some of these guys and give guys in these known commodities some opportunities to play and that could be starting to become at their ed- detriment because dan Sorensen's three years younger than when steve spagnolo met him by the way <laughs> uh just so you know i i just i i just think about this it's just like you know we question we scratch our head at some of the roster decisions we, we scratch our head at why certain guys are playing there is there's a little bit of i mean i i don't think this this i don't think this coaching staff is not forward thinking i do think that they overvalue special teams and maybe they're overvaluing maybe c spagnolo is overvaluing some things some of that comfortability that he has with some of these guys and it didn't manifest itself when he first got here, but that was three seasons ago. Things are different now, and he hasn't maybe adapted the same way personnel-wise that we should that maybe we should be seeing at this point. I don't know. I mean, you see this team routinely playing guys that quote unquote know the playbook and are smart players that's not to I mean, say that andy, anybody andy yeah andy flat yeah. out said today they asked him why dan Sorensen over Juan yep. thornhill it was he had a better camp he was more consistent and it felt it, it just we're comfortable with dan i mean that's they're, yeah. they're more comfortable with dan and they're not as comfortable and they don't trust juan as much i mean that's it right. that, read between the lines yeah it's that's exactly what that is so they would prefer to play these quote unquote smart players that make smart decisions just like a smart decision for you in kansas city would be our good pals at macadoodles all right so the chiefs were bad and we all know that they were bad and you may have been sitting around your house last night thinking oh man i really wish i had a little more alcohol in my house to help get rid of this memory a little bit better than what I have. Well, if you had a place like McAdoodles in Kansas City, not only could you go get the best selection for the best prices, you would also get the best customer service. So if you were sad, if you were not feeling great about how your football team played, guess what? You go in there, they'll make you feel better. They'll take good care of you. And that's why we need one in Kansas City for days just like this. So if you're a franchisee, get a hold of Roger at info at macadoodles.com. Let's get one up here. Make the smart decision. Not the not the ones that we're talking about with, you know, Sorensen and all of that. Make the smart decision to get one of these up here. Craig, that's a really smart decision, but we're not having any more days like this ever again. <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. Man, I would like nothing more than to never have that ad read for myself again. <laughs> I, uh, I, we can get to the offense here in a second, but I, I think I said this on the postgame show or something to this, this vein. 
our fan base, yes, losing the Super Bowl sucked. There was a lot of circumstances around losing the Super Bowl. The Raiders lost the year before. It was just kind of like it just kind of felt like they slept walked through the game and got got caught. This is the this is I we I'm not used to this feeling. I think it's been since the Super Bowl season where we were frustrated with the Colts game, where Chiefs have just really shined against the Texans and the Colts and <laughs> the Titans. It feels like this feels like the first time we've had some of that kind of angst and that kind of airing of grievances since then. Like that's how it feels. Like it's been a couple years since we've had to experience quite this. Because I don't think that you can make like excuses as a fan for this game. I don't think the Super Bowl, you were down to, you know, third stringers playing across the offensive line and the Bucks were much healthier and things clearly went, you know, went their way with a couple pass interference calls that you could directly point to. Like not saying they weren't a better team, but there are direct things that you can make an excuse for in your mind that make a lot of sense. The Raiders came out and flipped their entire offensive script on its head. And that's how they beat the Chiefs. Like, yeah, they were better but they still flipped it on their head. They still got a couple things, you know, to go right. This game, both teams made mistakes. Both teams didn't play their best version of their football. And then everything else being equal, the Chiefs just got bopped. They got molly mm-hmm. up and down the field on both sides of the trenches, it seemed like. it. I think the offensive line was good. We'll get there. But they didn't do a good job just playing. They were physically outmatched. The Ravens were a better team. And there's no nothing you can say as a Chiefs fan to, like, make an excuse for why this was a one-off thing. I think the Chiefs would win if they played again tonight, but I don't think you can excuse them getting outplayed. There's nothing I can hang my hat on and say, well, this happened, well, that happened. I think they just simply didn't play as well as the Ravens did. Yeah, and I mean, up until Clyde Edwards-Hilaire fumbled that ball, I was still convinced this team was going to win. Even when Patrick Mahomes got the ball back, I was like, well... I'm going to have to rail on the defense again this week, but at least Mahomes is going to go down and work his magic. And, you know, it that's what makes it frustrating is because it finally flipped the other way. They got pushed around. They got beat up. They got bodied. They really did. The Ravens played the more physical game. They made their presence felt. They made more impactful plays. And then on, you know, when they were had the ball, they made things happen consistently there was very little that the Chiefs defense could do to stop them which is why it's so demoralizing it wasn't just explosive plays it's chunks of 8 10 11 just slowly bleeding the defense dry that just makes it so painful to watch and so painful to be on the other end of and that's why it feels different because you still expected Mahomes to do his heroics and the offense couldn't. That fourth quarter, posting a big, fat goose egg. That is rough. There's some 2018 vibes to what we've experienced the last couple of weeks. A little bit of helplessness on defense and needing Patrick Mahomes to go out and make a bunch of plays for this team to win. And, to Patrick, and Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes has made all the plays. I mean, the, the reason the Chiefs lost – Last night was not Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I would have preferred that the ball not leave Patrick Mahomes' hands until the Chiefs scored a touchdown or until you know the time ran out and they, they kicked a field goal. I, I want to start there, and there's a lot to start offensively. But this is kind of a halfway segment between offense and defense. I hated the decision to run the football there. I absolutely hated it. Patrick Mahomes getting the ball out of his hands, back-to-back plays, got that team into field goal range as the, at the two-minute warning. They were in great shape. Turn around and hand the football off. And yes, I know you don't bank on Clyde Edwards-Alaire fumbling, but the negative plays for this game, largely there was, there was some negative run plays that game. And the Ravens looked loaded up to defend the run that play. And what happened? Fumble. I I I'm I I hate the idea of the ball not being in Patrick Mahomes' hands or out of on on a throw by Patrick Mahomes being the being the ultimate nail in the coffin for the Chiefs. So the tricky part was the Chiefs were technically in field goal range when this happened. 52 yard field goal. field goal, long field goal, but you're in field goal range. 
Andy Reid is an incredibly conservative coach. We know this. He has that sheet. He Andy Reid does just enough to win games. He's he's wide open with offensive scheme, with his philosophy, with progressing the game. But in terms of in-game management, he's one of the most conservative coaches there is. He really is. And so as soon as it went to that two-minute warning, I told you guys when we were watching live, I said, you did. they're gonna, they're gonna play for the field goal here. Like it was obvious. My problem is even with the run. My problem was the moment that clock said 2-0-0, the moment Mahomes got them across the 50-yard line quickly, then it hit 2-0-0, I immediately knew they were just going to play for the field goal. Now, I didn't know they were going to run a, run the ball right then. I didn't know what was next, but I very much knew they were going to play to kick. Probably they were, you know, I think they wanted another first down, but I think they were trying to just kick a field goal that is in a comfortable range for what they have. And so that right there, I think, begins the issue that I have. Next, you want to call a run play when your team's barely averaging over three yards per rush, and then now all of a sudden the Ravens aren't playing for the pass, as you can see by their alignment. They finally didn't have this spread-out defense with only three down defensive linemen and Jason Owa playing, you know, outside <laughs> Travis Kelsey three yards, you know, outside the tackle box. Like all of a sudden they're playing the run, and now you decide it's a good time to call a run play. That was just it was a wild process to go through this, to do that. And then they did it out of bunch. I, I got a lot to talk about with this Chiefs bunch formation stuff. So we're going to let Craig get his thoughts in on this field goal drive attempt at the end, <laughs> the fumble that you can't predict happening. But just the whole concept of that drive was awful. And you could just tell it was coming the moment that ball crossed the 50-yard line. You heard it here first. Maddie blames Patrick Mahomes for being too good and getting the offense across the 50-yard <laughs> line before the two-minute warning. It's egregious. It really is. I, you have to be cutthroat. When you're playing for the tie or when you're playing for a field goal here at the end, you're not putting yourself in the best chance to succeed. And I know that people are going to point to the fact that, let's say that Mahomes scores and there's, a minute 12 left to go in the game and you're putting your defense back out there the baltimore ravens have used up a bunch of their timeouts the baltimore left. ravens are going to have to be in a must score situation i must field goal must score situation and now you're allowing steve spagnolo for one of the very first times in the game to be able to dip into his bag throw some pressures at lamar jackson which we've seen them do a little bit and have lots of success and try and keep everything in front of you tackle them in bounds force the clock to tick down go out that way on your sword with steve spagnolo blitzing Rather than trying to bleed the clock, and I know what all the numbers say, and I know what coaches want to do in that situation, but when you have Mahomes and when you have a defense that is playing as aggressively or is built to play as aggressively, they certainly weren't aggressive before, as built to play as aggressively at this, as this defense is, that's where you got to make your money. So go for it. Try and score. Get yourself into the red zone at the very least and make the field goal a, a bit of a bit of a chip shot for you, and then let your defense try and go out and blitz to win the game. Well, I don't think they were scoring with 156 left on the clock either. Yes, call it 112, call it whatever you want. Yeah, I think they could have navigated the situation. I, th I think they got. I think they started trying to navigate that situation way too early. And here's the thing: what do we talk about? Make the Ravens one-dimensional. Well, in that situation, with one timeout and a, a call it a minute 30, a minute 12, a minute 5, I don't care. That is a one-dimensional football team. That is a one-dimensional football team that you, at least you know what's coming. Maybe you wouldn't have known. Maybe they would just ran the football and just, you know, it was like a high school team just running the veer down the field with you know, a minute left. I don't know. But I just, that, that was the situation to put that team and make them one-dimensional. You know, put the pet pressure on them. And guess what? Chiefs probably go for two, I would imagine, in oh, that yeah. situation. I mean, maybe I, you're I up seven. Maybe you're maybe they're trying to play to tie and you're putting Lamar Jackson in a chance where he has to throw the ball where he's already thrown two, should have been three interceptions to Tyron Matthew. Get I mean, yourself in that situation. I think they should have gone for two earlier. That's another story for another day. Mm -hmm. I know Andy's super conservative, but up eleven. I'd rather try to go up twelve. 
because now you're two touchdowns away instead of a touchdown a field goal where they're not going to. Kip was two. banging the table for Andy Reid to go for two on the first drive of the second half. And I told him there is not a snowball's chance in hell that is ever going to happen. Is he wrong, though? No, he's, he's not wrong. wrong. He he's should've. right. It's just that Andy Reid will never because that chart yeah. does not say he should. <laughs> yeah, that's just frustrating. I uh, I don't I didn't love it. All right, so offensively. Oh, let's Anything? move on to the bunch. Oh, I, I got a, I got a major schematic issue. Tyreek Hill was practically invisible this game. The Ravens found a way to shut down Tyreek Hill, mm -hmm. and I need to go back and watch and figure out what they were doing the majority of snaps. I do not think that Anthony Averett was glued to his hip pocket like he was on that fantastic third down play. I don't think he just erased him one-on-one. -on -one. I think they, NBC had shown a couple plays where it looked like the Ravens were passing Hill off from an underneath defender to a deep defender, but then immediately retreating underneath him to take away some of those over routes or some of those kind of corner routes that Mahomes always hits him on underneath kind of that over-the-top help. So I think the Ravens went out of their way to take him out. But do you know when they couldn't do that? When you went empty. Every time the Chiefs went empty and they put a running back out wide, one of two things happened. Patrick Queen, the most athletic player in the middle of that defense, their fastest second-level player, kicked out with them. You know it's man-to-man -man coverage. Now, all of a sudden, the Ravens are not allowed to double-team Travis Kelsey over the middle of the field and play Tyreek Hill in that same way, where you're giving him this high-low coverage over the top of him. One of those guys is getting one-on-one. -on -one, and if not, McCole Hardman, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson are all making plays today. Just keep spreading them out and keep making them cover the entire field. Or you're going to get a cornerback. We saw Marlon Humphrey waste the rep over there, and the Chiefs picked up a lot of yards on the play because he went out and stood over Daryl Williams. So now you know you're getting zoned. Now one of their best corners is out of the equation at all. You have mismatches all over the place. Go empty. What they kept doing with these bunch formations, that just allowed the Ravens to stack two or three guys over Travis Kelsey. You have to respect them. For Wink Martindale's defense, he could bring any one of those guys or all three of those guys. Like you have to respect them, so you can't just ignore that there's three extra guys on the line of scrimmage. Then they're bailing out. They're both covering Travis Kelsey. You now can still do the high-low coverage over Tyree Kill, and you're essentially just wasting all this time out of this, this bunch formation over and over. Then you're going to go line up and bunch and then run the ball into the 18 guys they have in the box, which causes a fumble to lose the game, which is I hated the concept of the bunch formation. Now, you can come back to me and say, yeah, Matt, well, Patrick Mahomes threw for 343 yards and three touchdowns and played a great game and was on his way to scoring again. Like, I get it. it I think Patrick Mahomes is that good. I just think the Chiefs could have made it so much easier on themselves if they just kept spreading it out because every time they went the bunch, I think they just played right into the Ravens' hands of showing a possible blitz formation never bringing it, and that allowed them to easily double-team the Chiefs' two biggest threats over and over again. That's one yeah. of the downsides of condensed formations is, mm -hmm. you know, and like, I don't, I love condensed formations. I love the value of them, especially with, with, not speed this game. with Tyree Kill, you know, getting speed outs and having, you know, trying to get beat people out to the sideline and then the arm talent of Patrick Mahomes. I love condensed formations. That is exactly one of the struggles and issues that you have with, you got to be able to ID the blitz, you know, they can show things a little bit more exotically. They can bring things more a little bit, a little bit more exotically when you're playing condensed and everybody's tight like that. And you're right, Maddie kind of did play to that. And I mean, Hey, look, if you're playing out of empty, a lot of things have to be declared by the defense. I mean, you're spreading mm -hmm. them out. It's a lot more difficult, you know, to, 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 to not show your hand when you're trying to, when you're trying to create pressure or show pressure, it's you're hundred percent right. And the Chiefs' offensive line handled the three- and four-man pass rush absolutely no problems. Like, I, I just don't get why they weren't living there with the success they were having. That, that's my frustration with this. Speaking of pass rush, um, is this another Mac that, Noodles read? No, it's not another Mac Noodles read. Okay. Speaking of pass rush, <laughs> would you like to rush your – no, I, I, I don't have one for that. Um, <laughs> I think it's worth noting the way that the Ravens played – Patrick Mahomes this week it, it's something that I'm taking note of because we haven't seen a lot of teams do this yet as Mahomes has gotten more comfortable with these offensive tackles and I realize there's only been two games but he does he looks comfortable stepping up and through the pocket teams are now peeling off their underneath defenders and driving on Mahomes and forcing him to try and throw these pop passes over the top. But it's also resulting in a lot of hits, a lot of inaccurate throws from Mahomes. It, 
I did not enjoy that Wink Martindale put that on tape because you are going to see teams replicate that. If Mahomes is going to continue to step up through the pocket the way that he is, which is fine and that's good, he's going to be taking hits from these teams that are doing that. I'm not trying to say that Mahomes should step up, stand still in the pocket, don't move outside. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But his tendency is to try and extend plays and make things happen. And the way that he's been able to do that recently is that he's got all these defenders in coverage. He's able to make things happen with his legs or he's able to find an open man. Now, if you got somebody that's kind of dwelling underneath, that's constantly going to spy and peel off and just drive and hammer him. Now, all of a sudden, he's taking a bunch of hits that I don't really want him to take. The other thing they did with their pass rush, and I think we should mention it too, they took in three, four outside linebackers, so a stand-up edge rusher. They put them out wide, usually trip Travis Kelsey, but then they came on long, looping, delayed blitzes up the middle. And for similar reasons that Craig is saying, these guys were, they were Patrick Mahomes getting better at stepping up. That's the way the Chiefs are blocking this year, and they're doing a really good job of it. Like, the pass protection's been really good. Mahomes is stepping up and he's still getting used to it. So he's running through the pocket towards the line of scrimmage. He's threatening the line of scrimmage with his legs, trying to throw athletically because that moves defenders. Great concept, great plan. You saw it on the interception. Here comes Owa late looping all the way around. He went up over the top of two defensive linemen. He happens to run directly into Patrick Mahomes attacking the line of scrimmage. That's something that they were doing throughout the whole game. Now, I think the Buccaneers did that to the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Not for the same reason. Not because Mahomes was stepping up as well, because he was being forced to run up. But that was something the Buccaneers did. I think you might see more teams do that. Rush three, only rush four, but send somebody on these late looping blitzes up and across to try to catch Mahomes escaping out the front of the pocket. So he's just got to do a good job of settling down once he steps up. And I think that'll kind of take care of both here. You won't have these underneath defenders crashing on him as he attacks the line of scrimmage taking extra hits even if he completes the pass. You'll get him settling back in behind his protection. It's just Those are two things that I think we did notice about how the Ravens were coming after him, which was different than how the Ravens or any other teams really ever attacked the Chiefs. All that and all that discussion about how to slow Patrick LeVon Mahomes down, and he still went 24-31 for 343 yards, three touchdowns, and an interception. He was good. I mean, he was good. That interception was bad, but he makes that yeah. happen three-quarters of the time, so you live with yeah. it. No, nope, I'll cheese to this that too. There was no reason to throw that play because there was zero chance to get a first down. Zero chance if that's complete, it gets a first down. No point to throw that. Like it, you live with it because he does it and it works better than just a third or a six yard catch on you know third and long. It's just I as soon as he started to throw that, I said, please just eat that because there was there was no chance Travis Kelsey's getting a first down there. He had a guy draped on his back and another defender just waiting. Like nothing about that was a good decision. No, I'm not going to defend it. Uh, and yeah, and I'm not going to defend turning around and handing the ball off with Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, uh, in the deep red or, in, or about to, to broach the red zone, uh, making it easier field goal. No, I don't like it. I didn't like the move. We got to talk about Clyde Edwards Alaire a little bit. I think this is such a, I, I just, it's, it's going to be a weird conversation. I'm not really even sure how to broach it because I don't want this to turn into all the issues that we've had with Clyde to this point. It's kind of hard not to. But the fumble was just, man, I, I, it, the, the absolute worst time to have your first career fumble, Craig. Yeah. Um, Clyde has, let's just be, let's just be frank. He has some issues. Um, he's not seeing things particularly well. And it's a new offensive line. There's some understandable adjustments there, but he's also missing some wide open stuff. He's also not, beaten guys in the open field like we've seen him you know do at the collegiate level in a little bit last year now we're seeing him run through guys he's very hard to bring down at times that's good but he's not making guys miss in the open field the way that we've seen in the past and then on top of that this man doesn't get used in the past game and when the chiefs at all drafted him, at all when the chiefs drafted him the the quote from andy reed is you know he's a better Brian Westbrook, essentially. And we in the Casey draft guide comped him to Brian Westbrook because of the way that Joe Brady and LSU utilized him in the passing game. As we stand right now, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is being a non-factor in the passing game, and he's struggling to run the ball. Like 
you see Jet McKinnon come in and you see some juice. Like you see him hitting the edge. You see splash plays out of him. Even Daryl Williams picks up some short yardage stuff. He is what he is. We know what he is. I don't know what Clyde is right now. I I have a lot of questions about what this man is. Now, that doesn't mean I'm writing him off. That doesn't mean that he's a useless player. Far from the case. He still has plenty of time to get in, turn this around, and be a good, good running back. But it's just really, it's a really hard pill to swallow right now to watch him ineffectively in this offense. So I'm not going to crush Clyde for the fumble. I think it was unfortunate. It's a bad timing for it. It happens. It's not an issue. It sucks. It happens. It's not an issue. You, well, I think like everybody in the Chiefs organization said, this doesn't define him. You can't let it because it's just not who he's been. So like, I get that. There might have been some issue with the handoff. It sounded like listening to Andy Reid. I don't know. Bad play, but you're not going to dwell on that. I am going to dwell on this. this is about the second week in a row this year. Just this year, second week in a row where I really do think he's missing some gaps. I think he's he's trying too hard to press the wrong gap that the play is not designed for. And he's trying too hard to be, he's not being patient enough in the right times. He's being overly impatient at the wrong times. He's just, everything he's doing seems out of sync with the entire offensive line. And I get it. It's a new offensive line, a new scheme. It's got to be hard. But just there's very obvious times where he is running away from the gap the play is designed to go to just based on the blocks. And he's just not hitting the right hole. When the Chiefs are setting him up, with just a two-gap read, make one defender be wrong, hit the other gap, he's not doing it. He's somehow finding a way to let a defender, whether they're there or not, cover both gaps on him. There was one specific play to the right where you saw him jump cut outside wide for absolutely no reason, and then he tried to immediately jump cut back inside. And yeah, he picked up a couple extra yards coming back inside, but he probably cost himself a good three, four yards by not just hitting the hole hard. I would really like to see more Jet McKinnon reps. He only saw four snaps. He didn't spend all of them lined up wide, which that's <laughs> fine. Even if you want to use him as a receiver, that's fine. I just want to see him a on nice the field catch, more. I think, right? Yeah, he yeah. a nice oh, catch yeah. and run. And so I think I want to see him more because I want to see him run the ball. I don't think Daryl Williams just doesn't look explosive again running the football. He scored a touchdown. Great. Followed the blocks. Great. But he just he doesn't look explosive. Let's get somebody out there that can at least threaten the defense if they do hit the right hole. Because right now, Clyder Zilaire is just not doing it. And to keep giving him the majority of the snaps, if you're not going to draw up plays for him in the passing game, and he's not going to bring consistency or particularly explosive plays in the run game, I don't know what you're getting out of him at the end of the day. Yeah, like one of our issues with Damien Williams was the high variance nature of him running the football, but there was some boom to him. And with Clyde, there's there's not been a ton of of explosive plays. I don't think that's ever going to be like a massive. I don't think he's going to ever break away a 66, 67 yard run. He might get you a 30 yard run here and there, but I don't think he I, I it's you know, his athletic profile was a little concerning coming out, but he lacks the functional explosiveness and, and athletic ability to really, you know, be a dynamic game changing playmaker to to a, a game breaker level. I mean, I don't think he's going to be the guy that's generating a bunch of explosive plays. I think you saw one of those plays, him trying to get out to the edge uh, on, on one of the runs. Uh, he had space to work, but he was just trying to get the edge and, and came a safety closing in quickly. I'm not even sure Clyde was overly confident in his ability to get that corner either. And that's just, it's really concerning because, you know, sometimes athletic profiles don't matter. Athletic profiles don't matter until they do, you know, and the anticipation, right. the vision you saw from Clyde, it's not where it's not there right now. What you saw from him in college versus now. And I don't understand it entirely. If it's a lack of confidence, if it's, uh, you know, just getting used to a new offensive line, there is a lot to unpack there with him specifically. And uh, it's not encouraging. It's not encouraging. And this hasn't been a particularly encouraging show. But we will can we, can we give a positive? We can't give yeah. one positive thought on the way Let's out? Let's give one positive. Fine. Kent, you go first because you seem very thrown off by this. I got to hang out with uh, Craig and Maddie this weekend. We had a delightful barbecue. All of our families got together. It was a big KCSN family picnic. And I had a delightful time. And I love doing this with my friends. I'll go with the Chiefs one. Uh, I thought Lucas, <laughs> I thought Lucas Niang looked pretty good. A uh, couple reach blocks that they asked him to make that that he struggled with a little bit. There, there was a number of those along the offensive line. It was not just him with some of those, but I thought that he looked 
pretty good through two weeks. Uh, he was a big question mark coming into this thing. And I listen, I'm, I'm more than happy. Let, let's ride, ride the rookies. Yeah, I think I much is not going to be mine because you went offensive line, but Trey Smith, I think, is a stud. I think he's well <laughs> on his way to being a stud. Yeah. I've talked about this once already this week, so we won't do that again. I'm gonna do this one. Um, guys, Tyron Matthew came back and played football this week and it mattered. Yeah. Like we so I talked about how there's not a single guy making plays in the front seven. Uh the only player really making plays on this defense was Tyron Matthew. And there was some good and there was some bad. Like he definitely had some bad plays in there, but he he made some positive plays. He made an impact. You felt his impact on the field. You knew where 32 was. I can't say you knew where a single other defender on the Chiefs field on the field was, besides I mean laying on the field, missing tackles and not getting where they needed to go. But you knew where Tyron Matthew was. The Chiefs need him to keep being this and better. Hopefully everybody else kind of starts to come in with the same mindset and just start a couple more playmakers start showing up because they need some. But I mean, Tyron Matthew looked good. He looked healthy. He looked ready to go this year. So this, this is a great start for him on this season. And, you know, his price tag probably just went up after two interceptions immediately coming mm-hmm. back. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. Well, that is going to do it for this episode of the KC Laboratory Live. Thank you so much for watching on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, wherever you're consuming this. Thanks for listening. We appreciate everyone for uh, for, for investing in what we're doing. Really appreciate you. And we'll catch you later this week with a game preview. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.